I'm a narrow cat, no wide flows. African descent, that's why I got the wide nose. With my kinky hair and black skin, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's in the image of a god that is beautiful and whose infinite word is immutable. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of HBCU, where, where we are healing brown communities unconditionally you're here with your host akima you can follow me on all social media platforms at princess akima a-k-e-e-m-a um and please i want you to follow me and i want to interact with you and you've got Macau here you can follow me on instagram and facebook at Macau halim underscore wellness that is m-i-k-a-l and that would be one word on facebook and instagram Awesome. He keeps it easy breezy, doesn't he? <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Y'all know we're, we're going to, um, you know, we're, we're always looking to heal. And we're going to go around the, around the gamut here with all the different things that we're touching on. Today, we are going to touch on Black Wall Street. Yes, you heard me, folks. You are going to touch on Black Wall Street. No, you are not listening to a different podcast. This is not finance or business. But when we talk about healing our communities, we have to talk about money. It's just, it's it's unavoidable. So we're going to um, delve right in. And let me tell you, Mikhail is a successful business owner. So I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to let him kick off our conversation today. And, you know, I, I don't mind at all, Akima. Um, and I think the importance of Black Wall Street specifically, um, while we're report, recording, excuse me, guys, this podcast, uh, we're almost approaching the 100-year, I don't want to, I hate to use a word like anniversary, because, you know, anniversaries are used to celebrate stuff and, and to bring light to, to positive things. But we're not really looking, I guess it's like a day of infamy because that's how the history books refer to as Pearl Harbor, because it was something tragic that took place. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just want to talk about today, Black Wall Street, its origin, how it developed. And we're not going to harbor on more so the tragedy of Black Wall Street, but moving forward, how we can apply what happened to developing cooperative economic principles for our communities moving forward. Can so I just a, tell y'all, I'm oh, sorry, Macau. Go ahead. Absolutely. Cooperative. That's the word we need to be using all year. You know, we hear that word a lot during um, like Kwanzaa, right? And everyone's like, want to be cooperative. But y'all can cooperate with me right now, okay? Right now. It, it ain't Kwanzaa. <laughs> and I need your cooperation. <laughs> we always need our dollars to cooperate. Listen. <laughs> so um, just a brief history, um, if you guys would, would bear with me for one second, you know, we got to ask ourselves, how did even a Black Wall Street occur in the United States of America at the time that we're talking about, which was 1921? We're looking at June of 1921 when all of that came to an abrupt end, as most of us know. Um, but after the Civil War ended in 19, I'm sorry, 1965, 1865, you found that um, African people who had been released or um, I actually even heard uh, one gentleman on, a, on another podcast, coincidentally, say that we were fired from our jobs. So we're, we're really talking about the biggest massive unemployment um, operation that we've ever seen. And we really don't speak to what happened after the slaves were quote unquote freed and what that meant for black unemployment. But we were redlined, you know, we were kind of pushed off the plantations and I hate to use some of that language, you know, that you find in Roots and all these slave movies, but we really want to add context to what's going on here. Absolutely. 
and when I use the term like redline, um, groups of African people, African Americans were forced to develop their own segregated communities outside of the affluence of, of white privilege and where the land was distributed to a lot of uh, European immigrants who had flooded over to the United States. And they had, um, I mean, came they gave away millions of acres of land just like it was candy. But um, black people did not find ourselves on the receiving end of any of that land. So we were actually redlined and we were forced against our will to develop our own communities. So, okay, let's fast forward. Just to add to that, Mikhail, because I... Absolutely. I can't like hear the hear these definitions that you're um, providing without thinking about like comments like pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and that kind of foolishness. Where when when a set of people are were redlined, they were also denied um, resources from the government. You know, so when I hear people say, "Well, they living off the government," I'm like, "Do you know how much the government owes us? Like, this is nothing. Like, whatever Absolutely. help and support is happening right now is nothing compared to what's happened throughout history." So I just wanted to highlight that point as we're laying down the history. Um, and the foundation here. Absolutely. So what we found is um, we didn't, like Akima said, we didn't have any resources. So just picture this. If we could paint this visual picture in our, of our minds, in our minds, and just imagine a community of Black folks who don't have resources, don't have any money, don't own any land, um, and they're forced to figure out some kind of way to sustain themselves long term. So, but this is the beauty of who we are. And this is more so the healing dynamic. And we can even pull from such a tragic story like Black Wall Street mm. um, and redlining because we come together. And Akima hinted on, you know, she touched on that cooperative word. You know, these people came together and cooperatively developed, I mean, their own bus system, cabs, so on and so forth. Yeah, and I think, and it's interesting too, because I, a lot of times, you know, people are forced into cooperation, right? Even though the word sounds like, oh, I gave, you gave, we're here together and it's kind of kumbaya, where I think cooperative turns into a survival mode. You know, when you think about these people, as you're mentioning, Mikhail, who had nothing, were forced into this, like nothingness is kind of desert. And how are we going to survive? We were going to survive because if I'm having a day where I need to lean on your back and then you have a day where you need to lean on my back and we have, that's what, and this, it's like a forced cooperation. Um, and so it's almost, um, I don't want to say good, right? Because I don't think what people had to suffer is necessarily good. But I do know that suffering brings about certain things that wouldn't otherwise take place. And I think a lot of times cooperation um, especially as it relates to what you're getting. And, and I know where you're going and I'm getting really excited over here. I'm trying to let you like break it down. But people just like, what drove this group of people to have to work together is their collective suffering and they all had nothing and they had to figure it out as a community. Absolutely. And um, again, because that's exactly it came to where we want to focus. I don't want you guys to really, because um, you know, we've seen all the movies. We can go on YouTube and other platforms and always research the history of these things to find the bad. But what were those key elements? If we were to comb through this with a fine tooth comb and see what dynamics we can pull that were constructive, that worked, and that we can apply ourselves moving forward. Now, in the development of these communities, um, you know, the hatred even developed or began because of the affluence that the cooperative economic plan and the structure 
had manifest into. And you know, it came, it was just so interesting to me. Just the other day, I didn't even realize, you know, I kind of thought of it from this kind of, I don't want to say fictitious, but you know, just the kind of surfacey level, okay, where there was a community and they had a lot of money. And you know, that's kind of the story that you can kind of just touch on if you want to get a quick five minute synopsis of, of Black Wall Street. But I mean, the word affluent came into this presentation because I didn't realize it came in that there were mansions. I mean, the economics of this town in Greenwood, Oklahoma, they, these people didn't live in apartment buildings and there were rats and roaches and, not, and some of the conditions that we find ourselves living in in major cities today. I mean, there were affluent banks. There were, there were two, two high schools and an elementary school all within this town. And it started to develop, I'm sorry, not it, but others. And we're talking about uh, the whites who had actually, you know, who were responsible of redlining our communities like this. They were at war. And when they came home from war, specifically in Oklahoma, those soldiers who lived across the railroad tracks would look over into Greenwood and see this affluent town with mansions. And I mean, you're talking about these soldiers didn't have anything because the government, as we all know, don't treat our veterans too well anyway. But you know what they did have is they had vision um, for you all again. So I love that we're breaking this down and we're going to get into like how this plays into like, you know, now today. Right. But the vision that had to um, be a part of what they were building um, for you all who don't know the construction of, you know, the black wall street, of course, we know, Oklahoma, but the individual um, who acquired it, um, O.W. Um, Gurley, and I hope I'm saying his last name correctly, um, he came from Arkansas and he bought up 40 acres of the land. One of the things that he also made sure of in the purchasing of that land is that any land that he sold was only sold to other African Americans. And so there was a, not only a collective, but I thought there was a guarding that happened. So it's like, you know, I hear people say things like, oh, well, this community, they work together and that community, they work together. Like we had this beautiful opportunity and this individual, he did that. That was in 1906. So you have to imagine the amount of years that it took for them and the vision and the wherewithal to just kind of push forward to see a nothingness. You know, you're just saying flat land um, and not things put together. And he was able to um, have that vision so these people could have something to actually utilize to develop this Black Wall Street. So I think that vision came before, like, the development of, you know, what was going on. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we, again, we're talking about cab companies. I mean, we're talking about hotels, high schools, elementary schools, um, churches, and, and things of that nature that were functioning fully and economically um, outside of the, the power structure or the collective. And I'm, I'm just thinking, moving forward, it came up, you know, because I love the idea, but because of what happened, yeah, let's talk end. a little bit about how it got dismantled because so now we've talked about all these beautiful things. Do you mind going into a little bit of like how Black Wall Street was dismantled? Absolutely. Because um, now we're going to go back to 1925. Again, we're talking about the end of World War I when, um, you know, all these soldiers are coming home. But now I've got to introduce the KKK to this conversation. And I mean, when I say KKK, uh, I mean the Ku Klux Klan. Um, which is one of the most terroristic organizations that's ever been implemented in any society on the planet. Um, but they were actually registering 
the soldiers as they came home, the white soldiers who were jealous of the way that the people in uh, uh, Greenwood, Oklahoma were living. And so that they were fueling them into this hate-filled jealousy. You know, look at them across the train tracks and um, a staggering number, just to give guys context to the environment of what's going on here. In 1925, and I'm reading this directly, there were 5 million, I repeat, 5 million card-carrying registered members of the Ku Klux Klan. So we're talking about an environment that was not built to sustain a black Wall Street. And um, we're going to find ourselves um, having an incident where um, Akeem and I, <laughs> you know, we kind of touched. We're not going to highlight too many uh, key characters in this story. But, um, but you needless know, to say, um, it had to be dismantled. You know, when a set of people with such hatred, um, you know, towards African-Americans saw what was, you know, able to happen. And when I say saw what, the what is like watching the black dollar be circulated in the black community. That is very threatening because um, you can't oppress me if I don't need you. If I don't have need of you, then how can you put any pressure on me? And so that self-sustaining community was not going to be allowed to be, um, to continue on. And so, and again, talking about the dismantling of it, um, and I encourage everyone, as we always try to encourage you all, whatever we share, go study it, um, be educated on it so that you can have your own knowledge and also make your, come to your own opinions of it. But um, I, I will say that the fragility of a particular um, people group definitely was used as the fuel for this fire. And I don't mean that as a play on words because they did burn down this community, you know, and accusations were made that um, that was just used to really fan the flame because it's not what started it. There was going to be one thing or another that was going to be utilized to, you know, bring this all down um, because it was just too successful. It was just too right. It was just too separate because, you know, if I cut you off here, I assume that you're going to fail and fall, but I've cut you off over here and you're being a little too successful over there with your people and we're not able to control you in the fashion that we want to. Therefore, we're going to have to take it down. And, you know, the, the saddest thing about all of this, you know, and I do want to share, um, I do want to share some of this. If I can pull this information up, a lot of people, so 35 city blocks were burned when Black Wall Street went down in uh, Oklahoma. Um, 300 people died and over 800 people were injured. Um, and this was all in the defense of um, what they call white female virtue um, was the motivation. And it really fueled the flame for this collective racial violence. And so I, 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 I don't, obviously we want to make sure that we're taking time here. I mean, that's just heavy stuff to read y'all. And it's, it's actually, it hurts my heart because when I think about that and, you know, not just being someone that's on this podcast, but being one who is a business owner, McCall is one as well. I just couldn't imagine like just my little business burning, let alone, my neighbors and the people that I'm used to, um, you know, doing business with, everything just went up in flames. And for the motivation for that to be racially motivated, not just, um, you know, not just like a, oh, I left the stove on kind of a fire. Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? Like, oh, an accident happened. And so, you know, McCall, I want to kick a question out here to you is what impact do you think positive and negatively that both the 
the creation, the operation, and the dismantling of Black Wall Street has had on our people, um, I guess then and now, just what impact do you think that's had? Collectively, you know, I think that the spirit of a Wall Street, because you just got to think about our condition coming out of uh, slavery and the Civil War, we've never really had connection to a land or to a certain political position, an economic base. And I just think that something was there. Now, this is Macau going off into his mind, and I ain't about to get all super uh, super deep and spiritual. But those people had to be connected to a power source of information and consciousness that allowed them to even formulate the ideas to pull such a concept together. And I just also want to talk on us touch on this quick point you know and the reason i brought up the context because i you know I, again i'm like the king and i we're, we're in agreement you know the fragility of a certain group um I, I prefer not to speak on too much but i had to put context to it because it was a climate and i think akima said something earlier and if it wasn't going to take place in oklahoma it was going to happen in north carolina it was going to happen in georgia it was going to happen in Texas because no, there weren't. And this is the key point here. Those people in Oklahoma, they were not the only group of African-Americans who had established an economic base. Redlining affected everybody. Absolutely. And so we've got to pull. Um, anyway, let me not digress on that point, but they, they all across America, imagine a lost people, so to speak, having to tap into a collective consciousness in order to take care of themselves moving forward. Now, unfortunately, on the negative end of that, we're talking about trauma. And let's be honest, it can be fearful to actually pull yourself together and try to develop an economic power base. And I actually wanted to answer that question as well as related to the impact because so I, I know we're not using the word anniversary, but let's just say milestone. So a year ago, next year, it would have been um, when this creation of Black Wall Street happened. So had it been successful, had it sustained, how would the outlook of Black businesses be now opposed to what we're seeing where other nationalities and other cultures were able to, you know, come in and really establish themselves in a way that maybe we as a people group weren't able to. One of the things that I think, and I'm going to talk a lot to the negative, so this is where I think like some of the healing needs to take place, guys and gals and men and women, ladies and gentlemen, however you want to see yourself today, is that there's a lot of fear related to um, working with Black businesses, specifically to the lack of longevity that isn't there. And so there's like this new business and like, mm, I don't want to check it out, or they haven't had an opportunity to iron out all the kinks, you know, um, some of that patience isn't there, you know, I'm watching different ones who are just like so impatient with Black businesses. And I'm just like, well, I'm sorry, they didn't have like these huge investments, they don't have endowments, they don't have trust funds, they don't have any, they don't have the longevity of that long dollar in these deep pockets. And so it may be a new business, it may be a new venture, they haven't had anyone to show them. But could you imagine if someone who starts a business today was like the fifth or sixth generation from somebody from, you know, Black Wall Street, as, as it was originally established, being able to take on 
the family business or being able to take that investment that has been left for them and now utilize it towards propelling them into something beautiful. I think that there is opportunity now, but I definitely think with the dismantling of Black Wall Street and all the redlining and just everything else that has just been compounded against, I think, um, you know, our community, it has, it, there's, there's this fear related to supporting our businesses. Um, and then also too, and this is a statistic that I've heard um, shared a lot, and it's a really unfortunate one, but it talks about how long the black dollar stays in the black community. For anyone, well, what's the black dollar? What's the black community? What, here's what I mean when I say that my dollar in my pocket is black. Yours is green, mine is black, okay? And yes. <laughs> y'all, my, my, my dollar's green too, y'all. Yeah, black um, dollar. I got black dollars and they taking them in my black stores. No, I have green dollars, but just being money that comes to me, where am I spending that money? Now, you know, great. Go where you find good service. Go where you've been going for years. You know, everyone has their motivation, but other communities, they spend their money um, in with their community where it's said that the black dollar doesn't last longer than six hours in our community. And that's a combination of not having the businesses to spend it with. Like if I have a need for something that is not sold by a black business, I find myself venturing over here to another business to purchase and to acquire that thing. Or back to my previous point, where there not being enough trust in what's happening with black businesses to make me want to spend my money, like my hard earned money, or it's payday Friday, thinking about how do you spend your money? And again, that goes to me, that goes through systemic um, issues that we've just had to deal with. And it even impacts how we spend our money and our motivation, you know, think like I have to have these and whatever y'all had to have, right? Well, what's the motivation about why you would spend your dollar here versus why I would keep my dollar in my own community? And, you know, we'll find that there are businesses who frequently occupy our communities and, you know, you just walk outside in your neighborhood. Carry we don't out. own too much of the carryouts. We don't own the liquor stores. We don't own the liquor stores or the check cashing places. You, t- you took the check cashing right out of my mouth. And you'll find that these things are frequently in sequence on blocks. Yeah. And um, my question specifically with the carryout, which I think should be abolished in our community. Like, immediately. burn it? No, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Y'all don't burn it. Y'all, the king was not violent. That we we're just figuring speech. Not, figure I'm speech. really not violent. But I mean, but seriously, think about what you just said. To the th- that's those are the ramifications of what we're dealing with with the trauma, um, because and I and I was talking about it uh, a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine. You know how many of those dollars that we spend in a carryout? One, we're eating fried chicken, which is in Greece that we don't know where it came from. We don't know the quality of the meat. We don't even know if it is meat. Um, but we're just, I'm going to just venture out and say that it's not. Go for it. I'm just going to say Call me crazy, but it, it could be possum. It could be squirrel. And, you know, but we continue to funnel our dollars into these businesses. And, you know, I'm a high school teacher. There's carryouts, you know, in the surrounding community. And if you ask me how much money, that those, you know, business owners put back into our schools, you know, maybe zero, zero comes to mind. (laughs) And I mean, I I could go into the negative if I could have a a value system for the negative because their representation and their presence in the community actually brings down our quality of life. 
It brings down our property value. It brings down our self-esteem. It brings down our self-confidence. And we continue to, like Akima said, if I get my paycheck or, you know, some of my students work and they get their paycheck and they take that thing to the checks cash in place, why do you think those things, and I'm just throwing hypotheticals out here now, there's a check cash in place right next to the liquor store in the carryout. Yep. You know, we got to think about stuff like that. And um, because what we're really establishing moving forward, it came, and I guess you can pick up on this point, is establishing an economic floor. Absolutely. One, stop going to the check cash in place and get the checking account. You know, um, I wish that we didn't have to. And there's some great, <laughs> there are some great black owned banks. Um, Y'all can get with me on social media and I can go through all, if you want to swap out all your uh, things, I'm really big on finding that. But yeah, please stop going to the check cash in place. And I can't, you know, guys, y'all know I, I run a holistic health practice. I can't help stop going to the carryouts, y'all. It's not only is it a waste of your money, it is killing us. I mean, it is literally killing us. It's poison. Absolutely. It's poison. Like the food is poison and it's not harming us. And it's funny too, because I was watching something with my um, family recently where even like uh, Chinese people, like who were like newly in America from China, they look at carryouts like it's the worst form of Chinese food. Like even if you were to go to China and please travel the world, see what's going on. Uh, they, that's not even the Chinese food that they're eating back home. So they're looking at this, like, what is this mess that y'all are feeding people? This is not what we grew up eating. So that's just a whole nother, that's a freebie for you all. Stop eating it. But yeah, uh, establishing it. And then I'm just full of questions today, Mikhail, because, you know, we started talking about trauma and we started talking about the lack of, um, you know, circulating our dollars. There is a, anybody who's a business owner, this next statement is going to resonate with you, but um, why doesn't, why don't our cousins support us? Why, why don't we support the oh. people that we know? <laughs> Do we have time today? I came going time. down rabbit holes today, I got, I got time today. We're going down rabbit holes today. You want, you want to, <laughs> why, know, why, why you think, why don't you support your cousin, Mikhail, who got that, uh, CMOS, uh, got that CMOS, I'm, I'm shouting out Mikhail's business. If you're in the DMV, y'all make sure y'all hit Mikhail <laughs> up for this, uh, CMOS, because he got that good, good. Come on. Why don't you, why don't they support you, cousin? Come on. You know, um, we've got to go back to the cliches, this crabs in the barrel thing that they've thrown on us. And we don't think, and this is my perspective, Akima. Say, hypothetically speaking, guys, if Akima also sells sea moss, since we already started with that one, say both of us have our own individual sea moss business, or if I were a holistic uh, practitioner such as Akima. So we're doing the same thing. For some reason, I think that by telling my friends or my network about her business, somehow I'm going to miss a dollar and fifty cents. And I'm just throwing some random figure out there. But I think that, nothing I sell costs a dollar fifty. <laughs> Y'all don't come to me with your dollar fifty. <laughs> That's not gonna get you through a session. <laughs> not at all, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but Chad, you know, there's like this. And I don't want to call it inherent because I refuse to believe that black people come here inherently jealous of one another and how yeah. much money we make and, and how we, you know, earn and our earning potential. But we've been taught to compete in business. And um, now we're going into capitalism, which, I, you know, that's a whole nother conversation for political. Hey, listen, we, we were competing on the block when they were trying to figure out, do they want this slave or that slave based upon the, the, the size of um, genitalia? 
or, you know, the, the broadness of shoulders. I mean, we've been taught to compete and competing on the field. Who can bring in the most cotton? Who can produce the most strong babies? I think that is a mindset that has to be dismantled and has to be healed in order for us to even stop competing with one another. But, but I digress, Mikhail. Absolutely. Because we're still talking about the insecurities that, that we have in all of our areas of life. And um, when we did not, when we were not afforded an economic floor, which was tied directly to land and resources, you know, that just, it, it spawned a, a very toxic cycle of um, just misunderstandings of how money works. And I mean, legally, we weren't even allowed, guys, let's be clear about this. We were not allowed to establish economically. And now we're talking about laws and, and um, jurisdictions and, you know, not to go back into the redlining, but there was a reason why these things were actually created. And it was to keep us in this negative space that we find ourselves in now. And so, you know, moving forward, as a black business owner, it's like, well, what do we do from here? Because, you know. First of like, all, if your cousin got something that, that they're selling that you could use, go buy something from your cousin. I'm not saying telling you to buy everything that everyone's selling, but just like that fear. And like, and I'm so glad you spoke to competition. And I don't mind that you brought redlining back up because I'm like, we have to understand how things have been passed down generationally. Like everything that's passed down to us, you know, through our culture, that is something else that exists because I hear that all the time. And I just have to put it out there. I might have a few people that like, mm, I'm not supporting her, but I'm grateful that I have such a network of like friends and uh, family who actually support what I do. And I don't know if that goes into, you know, just, I don't know what that goes into. I actually don't have an answer to that per se, but I do know that I hear that complaint a lot from people like, well, man, my friends don't support me. Well, don't worry about your friends because we got you over here. But I'm like, when we're talking about establishing community, I want that first with the people that I am, have most intimate relationship with. And then as you continue to grow your business, you know, and I've had that experience throughout the years where it started with the close friends and then it got to like most of the clients I get now I don't know them and they're just and they're coming to me for one reason or another and I'm grateful for those people too but I'm grateful for those who did not exhibit the things that we've been mentioning you know the the jealousy the fear the if I send someone to go get CMOS from Macau maybe they won't get a health service from me so then I'm not I'm gonna miss out on some money like no because if he has money and we're building a collective and we're building community then I have money too because I can ask somebody like Macau money, my money, if I need it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it came, that's exactly what we're talking about with the cooperative economics and the circulation of the black dollar. Yes. You know, if I go to the carryout and I give that money to who, to those who own that establishment, they're going to take my black dollar and they're going to turn it into their dollar and take it back to their community and, and send their kids the to college. And or open another carryout, send their kids to college, do all these kind of things, finance other business opportunities, so on and so forth. Versus if I take that same black dollar and I know what came up, I know what she's about. And, you know, that's her business. Y'all, we ain't got to be so personal with what everybody, but I know that Akima is going to circulate that money where it is going to come back into our community and serve our people in our best interests. 
And I do, y'all. And y'all know. Y'all know. I'll be buying all y'all stuff up. Hey, listen. This is such a hot topic. McCall and I could go on and on about it, but we're going to wrap up the conversation for today. Um, again, thank you for listening in. Do your research, guys, on Black Wall Street. And uh, more importantly, remember, everything that we're touching on, talking on, is to help everyone in our community to reach their highest potential. With that, this is Akima. And this is Mikhail. Sorry, guys. <laughs> he was in mind of his black. I sold up. I sold up for like five seconds. He got. <laughs> hey, listen, no. y'all. We'll we'll catch you next time. Peace out. Peace and love, family. Not doing this here to insult ya. Want you to see he's the god of culture, the same god that made this variety at Babel. Now I live inside of me. I did this song here to invoke ya all to see that he is a god of culture, the same god that made this variety at Babel. Now I live inside of me. Not doing this here to insult ya. Want you to see he's a god of culture, the same god that made this variety at Babel. Now I live inside of me. I did this song. Here to invoke you all to see that he is a god of culture, the same god that made this variety at Babel. Now lives inside of me.